<laughs> okay, let's pray for it. Holy Spirit, thank you for, for, for Debbie. God, thank you for the word that you've given her. Holy Spirit, we just pray it this morning that your presence of God would just rest in her. God, would just come against every other distraction, Lord, that would seek to um, steal from the seeds that you want to sow today. And just bind them in the name of Jesus in our hearts and our minds and all around us. And we pray this morning that your kingdom would come power through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Good, it's gone. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm wearing my green trousers and everything special. So, as you know, <coughs> we have been spending some time over the last number of weeks and we've really been looking in some detail at the book of Acts written by Luke. And I don't know about you, but I've been loving it and I've been getting so much out of it because there's so much that we can glean from studying this particular time in history, which marked the establishment of the early church and the great commission to go into all the world to make disciples. So I'm going to be looking at um, one particular element or subject today. But before I do that, I want to set the scene by telling a little bit of a story around our own lives, which I feel draws upon many aspects of the thing that I'm going to be focusing on. So, that little picture. Oh, do you want me to do it? What did it say? Should we go back? There we go. Is that us? There we are. This was 1997. So, <laughs> I was 10 years old and Chris was 12. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? We, like, seriously look like such wee babies. Um, so, basically, fast forward two years. So, the story I'm going to tell you about, it was around 1999. So just around about two years after saying I do to this man in the front row with a cheeky grin. And so there we were in our lovely little home in Belfast. And really, I guess, in the world's eyes, all was pretty much exactly the way it should have been. But I guess that in some ways, Chris and I have always questioned whether or not as Christians we should really live lives that kind of follow or look like the norm in terms of living out the kingdom call that is on each one of us. And I think as well that really Chris and I have always kind of thought about our life as Christians as a bit of an adventure because we know that, that God has, had brought us together for a real adventure together and we were open to what that looked like. And to be honest, we've had many an eyebrow raised at us due to some of the things that we have felt led to do throughout our lives, but never by Jesus, so that's all right. So at this time in our lives, we found ourselves studying the book of Acts that we're looking at right now, and there was one particular verse that really stood out for us, and it was Acts 2 verse 44 which says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And you see, at this time in our lives, we were in the midst of a pretty incredible season 
the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we were so acutely aware of it with every step that we took. And we came in contact with a couple who became really good friends. And so we spent, to be honest, quite a lot of time with them. And we spoke to them about Jesus and we spoke to them about our faith. And uh, after quite a wee while, it was amazing because they gave their lives to Jesus and they started coming along to Belfast Vineyard with us. Um, and it was a really, really special time. Now, the girl was really very unwell in lots of ways. She had been in a, a serious car crash a couple of years before that. And so she had ended up with a number of dislocated vertebrae in her back. And she also suffered from fibroids, which built up around her heart. So she had a little three-year-old boy, and then she had a little baby girl as well. And so things didn't look good at all. So at this point, her health was starting to deteriorate really badly. And her husband was having conversations with us along the lines of, I think I'm going to have to leave work here just to become her carer. But financially, what is that going to look like? How are we going to cope? So there Chris and I were, in this context, reading together through the book of Acts, um, came together, shared everything they had. So let's have a little read of this together in its entirety. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So I guess it seemed pretty clear to us that this was the way forward. Prayer was great, but actually what these guys needed at this season in their lives was practical support and spiritual support because they were relatively new Christians as well. And we felt that we could help to provide it. To do so, we needed to be all in. There were no half measures. We were either going to do this or we weren't going to do it. So this was the plan. This was one of the eyebrow raising plans. So the plan was to rent out our little home and to move in to support this family. And so what did that involve? Well, that involved sharing all that we had practically and financially as well. And you know, I can remember a friend visiting us and she was utterly horrified to think that we were actually sharing our fairly new wedding present furniture and all those sorts of things um, in this context. Because let's face it, whenever there are small children around, things don't last, things got broken really quickly and wrecked and destroyed and all that sort of thing. But Jesus was doing so much in our midst. It really wasn't important to us. Our stuff, it really wasn't important. So I'm going to park that story there for a little bit, but I will come back to it. So in the context of our study of Acts, you'll have heard the term that I'm going to be focusing on a number of times up to this point. So it is koinonia. So Bruno, when she was speaking, she referred to it in the context of taking communion. And I know that Alan's referred to it a number of times as well. 
Today, I would really love to go deeper, to really delve into what koinonia encompasses in its entirety. Because from what I understand, koinonia in action in all its fullness was absolutely key to the effective establishing and spreading of the early church. And if that's the case, then it has to be central today as well, doesn't it, for us? In terms of our church life and our heart and our desire to fulfill the Great Commission right now at this time in history. To be the everyone, every day, everywhere, and to play our part in rewriting the story of this city because we all have a part to play. So here we go. Koinonia. I've done quite a bit of study just in preparation for today in terms of this Greek term. And the more study I've done, the less I feel that it can be condensed into a really simple definition. And in fact, I think we would probably be doing it a disservice if we even tried to do it. But in its simplest form, it can maybe be defined as fellowship. But koinonia actually belongs to the family of words in the New Testament, which describe association. So that's a group of people with a common purpose and joint participation. And in fact, koinonia appears to be, it's a bit of an umbrella term for lots of words that we're really familiar with in the context of church life, um, including all of these. Discipleship, joint participation in or partaking in. Fellowship, having a common purpose. Being united, being family, having communion with, sharing, a collection, a contribution, generosity, devotion, and diversity. So do you see what I mean? It's so difficult to just define it. It's really the presence of all of these things, both separately and together, that is koinonia. And you could maybe say the dynamic whole of Christian living, that's koinonia. So then maybe we could say that koinonia identifies the idealized state of fellowship and unity that should exist, that God would love to see exist within the body of Christ. So the word occurs 17 times in the New Testament, and the first occurrence is Acts 2, verse 42. Yep. It's that verse again. You're definitely going to know it off by heart by the time we finish this series because it keeps coming up, doesn't it? So just like we do in Kingdom Kids, this can be your memory verse. And you might even get a sticker if you can come up and say it by the end. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The most incredible community life emerged in the, the new church as the entire community developed a profound and intense and powerful sense of one-mindedness. So I just want to take a wee minute to read about this in Acts 2 verses 43 
to 47. And let's just really pray that as we read this, that God gives us fresh eyes, that it just catches our hearts, that God lights a fire as we read these words, which are familiar to us. Oh, back. No. Wait a second. Okay, I'm going to read it from the Bible. This is Acts 2, verses 43 to 47. There are lots of Bibles around if you want to have a wee look at it. Okay. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So if we think about the verb at the very beginning here, it's the verb devoted, to be devoted. And we know that that means to be 100% committed. And some synonyms for this verb might be steadfast or constant, dedicated, devout or ardent. So what does it depict? It depicts really strong affection or attachment, really giving of yourself, consecrating yourself to something. I suppose to go back to a term I used at the very start, it means being all in. And for the period of time that we were with that family, helping to support them, that was the decision that we had to make. We had to decide to be all in and to look beyond ourselves to help to care for this wee family. And the decision to rent out our house had to be an all in decision. So I would love to share a very quick video with you this morning. But as we watch, I specifically want you to think about two things. The first thing is the relationship between the brothers, Noah and Lucas, who you'll be seeing in a second. And the fact that we are all brothers and sisters together in him. So what should that relationship look like? frantic waving here. <laughs> so this little video is basically about two brothers and it's called the brotherly love that conquers triathlons. And so we have this little boy um, who is called Lucas and oh is that it?
we'll wait a wee second and see if we can get the sound up. Can you hear it? Just about. Okay, don't worry, don't worry. So basically, the older brother, he determines that he is going to really enhance his little brother's quality of life. His little brother um, has a lot of different medical complications um, and he really can do very little for himself. And this is all about the fact that his older brother, he gives of his time and he gives of his energy and he is 100% committed to um, doing triathlons. He does 15 triathlons, um, which as you can see are far from easy. He is pushing his little brother up hills and vast distances. And really that little boy as a brother shows so much dedication and so much commitment. And actually it's a really emotional watch. So if you want to look it up when you go home, it's called The Brotherly Love That Conquers Triathlons. And you know, it's actually a really emotional watch. And as I watched it, I was really struck by the depth of commitment and love and devotion which was shown by the older brother, Noah. And there's a beautiful dynamic relationship there. There's, there we go, I'm gonna pause. It's just not going to happen, people. That's all right. It's fine. Don't worry. So it's all right. Seriously, just leave it. It's all right. So what we see here is a sharing and a generosity, time and energy given by the older brother. And the thing, actually, one of the main things that stood out for me here was that part of the devotion was in the form of perseverance. And perseverance is a quality that koinonia demands from all of us at different times whenever things are challenging. Because you see, at, towards the end of the video, the brother Noah, he's struggling. It's getting really tough. It's getting really hard. It's past the fun stage. And he makes a wee comment, which is along the lines of, I'm just willing it to be over. But then I hear Lucas and he makes the noise, which means go on, keep going, keep going. And so he does. And I just love that. I love that determination. He perseveres. So here we have so many elements of koinonia. We have determination to bless and enhance the quality of the life of a brother. And this little boy, Noah, he is all in. And the thing is that in the physical, it might seem that Lucas can't really give very much back. And in a similar way, there are times as a church family where we are going to need to carry one another and be selfless in our koinonia love. 
But I just wanted to show you, was planning to show you that because I think it really helps us to understand koinonia in all of its depth. And the thing is, who wouldn't be drawn to something that is so, so beautiful? So whenever I look at the book of Acts, the constant additions of new believers um, directly related to the one-mindedness of the community, it's not a surprise. It is so attractive the love that reflects God, it is just so, so beautiful. And this little boy, Noah, he has absolutely nailed the preferring one another thing, hasn't he? So one another. Let's take a wee minute to think about that. One another. Have you any idea how many times that phrase, one another, appears in the Bible? Well, to be honest, I don't either. But it's a lot. It is an awful lot. And so what I want to do is, I did a little bit of study on this because, you know, there's such an encouragement for us to look beyond ourselves in the context of koinonia and relationship. So I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of work, all right, just to make sure that you're all still awake. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a series of verses and the Bible references are there so that you can look those up later if you want. And so where you see the dotted lines, I would love all of you to, to speak out the one another part. Okay, can we do that? So this is us practicing the participation part of koinonia. All right, so we're ready. Okay, be devoted to... Honour, live in harmony with, accept, serve, be kind and compassionate to, encourage, offer hospitality to, love. And there's another really important one. It's Hebrews 10, verse 24, which is spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that's not all of them. Aren't there so many one another references as we look throughout the Bible? And as I said, in the same way, in Christ, we are brothers and sisters together. We are part of the same family. And God has brought us to this location for this time in history to be Emmanuel Portadown. And as Bruna said, whenever she was speaking a few weeks ago, you know, I too see beautiful reflections of Koinonia in this church, which I know completely delight the heart of God. I see people being supported practically and emotionally and prayerfully by their church family as they're facing difficult times and sicknesses and challenges. I see intentional relationship building which as a relatively new church family, that's a really important thing. And we absolutely appreciate that that takes time and it takes energy. I see people giving financially and serving and active participation and celebrating with each other in the good times. And I love it. But just as an act, this fellowship and communion it's to extend beyond this immediate church family to the wider church family. And I'm not just talking about Emmanuel Lurgan. 
And I'm not just talking about the various Tabar expressions, but the wider Christian expressions of church. And I totally get that there are differences of opinion and approach within various Christian denominations. But you know, from my reading of the Bible, this isn't an option, or this, sorry, this isn't a reason to opt out of seeing and accepting and loving them as our wider church family, God's family. They are also our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they come under the one another in terms of how we should consider and pray for and treat them. And for some, maybe as I talk about this aspect of koinonia, it may cause a bit of a reaction in you. And sadly, there may well be some of you who've been hurt by the church in some form, who've been disappointed or whatever it may look like, some sort of pain connected with your church experience. And if this is the case, I would really invite you today to come for some prayer and to bring that pain before the Holy Spirit, who would really love to set you free. Because while we, while we have these things within us, we can't actually appreciate and step into koinonia in all of its fullness. And differences aside, God's heart is that we can genuinely love and encourage and pray for our wider Christian church family in its entirety. Now, throughout the years, whenever we were part of the vineyard, I ran a number of different women's conferences. And do you know what the gold was for me? The gold was seeing a real mix of women from churches right across the area, lots of different denominations. We had old, we had young, we had King James readers, and we had message preferers, you know. But see, for that short time we were together, we were sisters, we were family, and we were one. And God did really, really beautiful things. And in the Bible, we read about how the Gentile believers in Macedonia actually had very little in common with the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, except Christ. Because you see, Christ should always be enough. And let's pause for a little minute here to remember the source of love, the root of everything that koinonia encompasses. Because otherwise, this just becomes a religious exercise, doesn't it? This just becomes a, we need to, we should, we have to do this exercise. But no. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And it's our own personal relationship with Jesus that will fuel us, that will cause our love for him and given by him to overflow into all the areas of koinonia that we have been talking about. 1 John 1 verse 3 says, The one who is in fellowship with God is in fellowship with all others who are truly in fellowship with him. Maybe read that again. It's a bit of a tongue twister. The one who is in fellowship with God is in fellowship with all others who are truly in fellowship with him. 
And it's absolute submission of our lives that allows for koinonia. Because the more in love with Jesus we are, the less of a sacrifice giving of ourselves will be as we recognize and appreciate the honor of actually being Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet on this earth. And I came across this quote, which I really liked, and it's by David Livingstone. And it says, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? And it's, it was kind of strange. I got to this point in preparing the talk, and I literally felt the Holy Spirit like press a pause button if there was such a thing. And I felt him say this, Debbie, people need to know, koinonia, as I've designed it, it is not life-draining, but it's life-giving. Joy will be released in the midst of koinonia, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I'm going to go back to the slightly crazy eyebrow-raising story of um, leaving our home that I opened up with. So as I said, let me just check my time, actually. We are right on. So as I said, these guys were fairly new Christians. Um, God was very much at the center of our home together. Um, so we supported these guys, but alongside that, we ran Alpha. Most bizarre thing, I have no idea how it worked. We literally had Christians from all over the world who came and stayed with us um, for different periods of time. And it was a pretty incredible season in our lives. And in ways, the koinonia was really flowing in lots of ways. And I can remember we very often had about 14 people. So we had to get this table built to actually accommodate everybody. And I can remember on different occasions, actually, literally looking up and down the table and listening to the buzz of conversation, which was very often faith-centered. And uh, I actually felt like I was in that book of Acts that we had read about, you know, before we started all of this. But over time, some cracks started to appear and brokenness within people started to manifest itself in various ways. Maybe it was unpaid rent, arguments, struggles with depression and how that played out in this scenario. It was all in there. So what I'm saying is in the context of what we're talking about today, let's keep this real. Things have been amazing and so blessed in our just over one year journey together as Emmanuel poured it down. But the reality is, as Romans 3 verse 23 says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every one of you sit there today and I stand here today far from perfect with our own stuff that we need Jesus to forgive and to deal with and to bring wholeness to. And we all have our own opinions as unique individuals and we see things a certain way. We have our own personalities and perspectives. In this church family, never mind beyond, it is so important that we do our best to do the one another's that we read out together. Remember, be devoted, honor, live in harmony with, accept, 
serve, be kind and compassionate, encourage. And at times in the natural, this will be hard. And believe me, the enemy delights in getting in there. If there is the slightest crack, he will get in there to try to wreak havoc because koinonia is one of the things that the enemy detests above many other things because he recognizes the power that is released in and through it. But thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit, don't we? The Holy Spirit is there to teach us and he's there to guide us and to help us to navigate relationship conflict in a mature and healthy and a healing manner. And he's so full of grace. He's so full of grace whenever it's needed. And don't forget, sometimes I think we can read the book of Acts with the kind of thinking that everything was just perfect, but it wasn't all roses in the book of Acts either. And in fact, there were many difficulties and there were many challenges that were faced by the apostles as they sought to fulfill the commission to carry the gospel to all of the nations. And in fact, a community plan had to be drawn up to deal with internal strife. And there were, for example, issues with church policy and the incorporation of foreigners. Problems did begin to surface just the way they did in our, our uh, own house experience. And these problems had the potential to destroy the heart and the soul and the spirit of the community in the church at Jerusalem. And you remember in Philippians, wherever Paul, when he says, and I can hear the really guys tone of his voice every time I look at this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common caring in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. In other words, some of these elements were clearly missing or at least lacking in the early church. And yet God in his grace and in his mercy still established and he still built his church in the most awe-inspiring and incredible way. And the spirit came causing the community to grow to over 5,000 almost overnight. And that's our prayer, isn't it? Holy Spirit, come and spirit break out in this place at this time in history. So there are so many centuries that separate us from the early church of the New Testament. But we can relate to so many of the challenges that they faced. Acknowledging that imperfect people comprise the church, let's have the faith and the confidence to believe that God can and absolutely desires to move and advance in our lifetime so that future generations will look back with awe whenever they're reflecting back on the things that we have seen God do. Now, unfortunately, I haven't got time to look at every aspect of Koinonia, but when I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit which aspects he wanted me to focus on today, um, I felt some impress one other on my heart that I want to look at with you. Multicultural diversity. I find it stunning that a movement birthed by a persecuted Jewish minority sect became a multi-ethnic, multicultural family of families. 
as John Stott says, our God is a global God. He is the very spirit of missions. And we are living in quite an incredible time where God has literally brought people from a wide range of countries right to our doorstep. And we should see it as an honor to share our worship and our faith and Jesus with them. Now, I work in a local school and uh, our school community is made up of, in many classes, up to a third of our children actually would be from other countries. So we have little ones from Poland and Lithuania and East Timor and Bulgaria. And so in many ways, I guess this is the norm for me. This, this is kind of life. And I would say that that range of nationalities, it brings such a richness and it brings such a diversity in the classroom environment. And it always reminds me of uh, that little image presented in Revelation 7, verse 9. I think we have it coming up. Yep. I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And I believe that this is the type of church that God is seeking to build. And again, this may well present us with different challenges in terms of language barriers and understanding cultural differences, but it's nothing that the Holy Spirit can't be in the midst of and can't bless. And think about the encounter that we read about in Acts 8, verses 26 to 39. So here we have Philip encountering an Ethiopian. So en route to Gaza, he overhears this guy who's a prominent official of the Ethiopian queen, and he's reading from a key messianic prophecy in Isaiah 53. He's doing his best, but he's struggling. So I can picture some head scratching going on here as he tries to get his head around the meaning of it all. And then, just at that point, along comes Philip, who then has the opportunity to explain and to preach about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this was no chance encounter. This very much appears to be an encounter which was orchestrated by God because Philip had actually been prompted by an angel to go south from Jerusalem and he met this man as he obeyed. So here we have an encounter set up by God where there is a meeting of languages and cultures and backgrounds brought together by the Spirit. And if you think about it, presumably that Ethiopian would then have brought his newfound faith back to the region that he came from, which may then well may have played a part in the conversion of the king and the creation of a Christian kingdom in Ethiopia in the fourth century. It is so important. It is key that we welcome those who we encounter and who God brings from other countries. And we need to recognize and we need to deal with any unhelpful or wrong attitudes of the heart that we may identify. We need to bring these to Jesus and not be held back from the richness of the experience of koinonia that he has for us. So get prayer today.
get prayer today if you recognize there's something not quite right there. So this koinonia, as we have said, um, the power of one-mindedness in the early church, it was directly related to the constant addition of new converts. And think about it, how attractive would this have been to people witnessing it? It's almost the image I have in my head. It's like a magnetic pull to something which was so, so beautiful, causing large numbers of people to then encounter the designer um, of such a beautiful creation. And our prayer is that we would move forward together with a similar one-mindedness, just like that that we read about in Acts. So that, as Alan said last week, we can respond to the Spirit's invitation to become pregnant with the assignments of heaven. And yes, there are still many unknowns in terms of the direction that God is taking this church, but that's okay because he knows exactly where he's leading us and everything that he has for us as we determine to pursue koinonia together. So here's a little Stanley Haurovitz quote. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but don't worry. So this is great. The most creative social strategy we have to offer is the church. Here we show the world a manner of life the world can never achieve through social coercion or governmental action. We serve the world by showing it something that it is not, namely a place where God is forming a family out of strangers. So talking or taking all that we have looked at together into account, I think that we can agree on a couple of things. I think we can agree that Koinonia calls us to live sacrificially like the early church. The world will constantly distract us and present us with the norm. It will steal our time. It will steal our attention. And this is one of our main challenges, the internet at our fingertips. So as I finish, I thought it might be helpful um, to suggest just a few practical things that we can all do uh, maybe this week to keep koinonia in its fullness at the forefront of our minds. And even if you can commit to do one of these things, I think that that would be a really good start. So maybe take someone out for coffee. Maybe somebody, preferably somebody actually you don't know very well. After church on Sunday mornings, Greg's is a few footsteps down that way. I should still get commission for this, shouldn't I? Um, it's a great way you're in the same place Head down there with somebody, spend time, invest time, share a bit of your life and your heart with someone, grab a sandwich. Maybe if you are out with your family at the park or whatever, invite another family to come along with you and just hang out. Have someone round at your house for coffee or for a meal. Or maybe this week you could make a meal for somebody who's unwell or going through a difficult time that would really bless them and just show the love and the heart of Jesus. And this is one that I felt the Holy Spirit put on my heart, actually. Ask God to highlight somebody who you really don't know very well at all. And commit to praying for that person throughout the week, every day. And I really believe that you would be so encouraged by what you see God do in their lives and in the depth of relationship 
that can form from that. And maybe even at the end of that week, you could switch. And then so that you both get an opportunity to pray and you both get an opportunity to be prayed for as well. And pray for an opportunity to share your faith or to share Jesus with somebody this week. And the thing is, I know that for many of you, you're already doing these things. Koinonia, as I said, is already happening in many, many ways. But I think as I was writing this talk, I just kept sensing the Holy Spirit saying, there's more, there's more, there's a depth that I want to take this family into. And I think this is really important too. We all have a part to play in Koinonia. And when everybody plays their part, we shouldn't encounter people with burnout because they're running around trying to do everything and trying to support so many people. If we all play our part, that really shouldn't happen. And yes, we need wisdom too, don't we? We need wisdom in terms of the, the season that we're in, whether it's with small children or whatever that looks like. It's the building of family that will draw others in as they see something of the heart of God in our love and in our relationships. And I really believe that there are such exciting times and exciting things to come as we move forward into everything that God has for us. So I want to do one other little thing just before I'd love to spend just a couple of minutes um, in prayer with you all, just letting God do what he wants to do. But um, one of our family members, David Jess, had given this to Chris on Friday at Connect Cafe. And it's a song that he felt that um, God placed in his heart. I'm not going to sing. Don't panic. Um, but just as I was reading through the lyrics... It's so profound, it is so beautiful, and I believe that it is so inspired by the Spirit that I want to read it here at the very end just uh, to offer up as a prayer for all of us. So you can maybe even just close your eyes. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that as um, we think about these words together, we just invite your presence. We invite you to move. Thank you, Jesus. We'll walk these streets all across this city on the cold grey pavement to the darkest place. We'll walk these streets believing you are mighty to remake the lost with your abounding grace. To those confused whose shoes we have never walked in, we will bring your love and you will break their shame. We are your hands to help the weak and powerless and defend their cause against the powers that reign. Come, Holy One, come, Righteous One, and change our ways from worshipping the chains that hold us down. From mountaintops to city blocks, we give you praise, for it's only by your Spirit you can save this town. To all the blind who never seek your kingdom, Give them eyes to see the one who is king. Lord, melt their hearts and let them see your glory as we lift the name that's over everything. Your day will come, your truth will reign and expose controlling lies. 
The hollow powers cannot withstand the fire that flashes from your eyes. We'll walk these streets for we are meant to be here in this broken world, yet somehow set apart. We'll walk these streets though we are still just children. We are raised by a lion with a fearless heart. So I'd love to invite you just to stand with me. We have about 10 minutes or so um, before we need to go and get the children. But So I believe that the Holy Spirit has been doing different things. He has been speaking to you in different ways this morning. And we just want to take a couple of minutes to be still before him. This is something I think we need to maybe learn how to do, maybe a bit better. Just to learn to be still before our God. Be still and know that I am God. So Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence with your people, with your sons and your daughters. Father, just fall upon each one of us this morning with your grace and your mercy to speak to our hearts. And Father, have your way in these moments. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes, Father, we offer ourselves afresh to you this morning. Lord, take our lives to represent your hands and your feet on this earth. And I feel that for um, as a church body that God would really love us just to outstretch our hands if you're happy to do that. And I feel that it's just a moment of uh, almost rededicating ourselves to being all in for the kingdom. So just bring 
your own hearts and your lives before him. Jesus, will you come and uh, speak into loneliness this morning? A deep place of not feeling like you're really truly known or understood. God, will you come and, and bring healing to brokenness? Just even in, in families where a sense of uh, fellowship is just not right, that the relationships are tense and stressed. Lord, will you come and bring a restoration to family relationships this morning. Let me speak life into a sense of belonging. And I just, I just speak over you, if that's, if that's you, if you don't feel like you belong, you fit in, that you feel like um, maybe everybody else does, but you don't. Lord, will you come and, and just increase that sense of of having a place, of being called for a purpose. Come, Lord Jesus. For those of us who um, recognize that the Holy Spirit was maybe pinpointing some areas of hurt and connection with our church experiences, or a heart that's not quite right whenever we think about uh, sharing our family and inviting those who are maybe not from this country, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would just touch you this morning. And if you're here this morning and if you have never given your heart and your life to Jesus, then he's inviting you today to come and to be part of this family, to be part of Koinonia and all its fullness and in all its beauty, to be all in with us.
Yes, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you that you have been with us, that your presence has been with us. And Lord, thank you that family is your design. It is your beautiful, beautiful design to be there for one another and to reach out to the lost to bring them in. So, Father, I just pray that you protect what you've been done this, doing this morning. We love you, Jesus. Amen.